Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Last week, a new story emerged about President Trump and his possible engagement with a foreign power to interfere with American elections. While information and details are still developing, the general narrative is that a whistleblower has made some allegations against President Trump over his dealings with Ukraine. On Friday, the Wall Street Journal reported that Trump had, quote, repeatedly pressured the president of Ukraine to investigate Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden's son. The story also pointed out that the administration had delayed $250 million in aid to Ukraine until earlier this month. In typical fashion, Trump insists he is innocent and told reporters that his communications with foreign leaders are, quote, always appropriate. Try not to laugh when you hear that. Here to help sort out the implications of the allegations is Barbara McQuaid. She is a law professor at the University of Michigan and former United States attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. Barb, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Always great to be with you. Yes. I noticed you did not laugh when I said that uh, the president said that his communications with foreign leaders are always appropriate, but I kind of chuckled there. I mean, this is is a longstanding standing. Uh, issue with this president is how he deals with foreign leaders. Um, But give us the general rundown of this story and timeline for people who have not been paying attention. There have been allegations, and it's just allegations at this stage. We don't know the details um, that President Trump spoke with the president of Ukraine and uh, said that he would withhold military aid that's already been approved, $250 million to Ukraine to help it in its defense against Russia, um, in exchange for digging up dirt on on Joe Biden. That's the allegation. Now, we don't know all the details because this is just a bit of what we've learned about a whistleblower complaint. A whistleblower from the intelligence community has shared information with the inspector general of his agency and of the intelligence community, uh, but the director of national intelligence has not forwarded that to uh, the intelligence committees of Congress. And so we don't know exactly what it says. It appears that the White House and the Department of Justice have also weighed in on holding it up. And so there's a battle in terms of getting all of that information uh, to Congress so that they can weigh whether that is an inappropriate communication. And in fact, uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said this morning that uh, unless the the White House turns over this whistleblower suit, she's going to, to ratchet up the pressure in, in some way. Um, talk about this idea of whistleblower, though, and what that means in the federal government context. That is something that comes up from time to time. Uh, and in scandals that we that we see unfold. It is, and whistleblower protections are so incredibly important. You know, when you have uh, sensitive information in government or classified information in government, you sign a contract that says, I will not disclose this to the world because, of course, we can all understand uh, the, the secret playbook of the United States needs to stay secret. Um, and so when people uh, in, in that community find things that are close to the line or crossing the line of legality, What are they supposed to do with that information? And we want to discourage people from leaking it to the press, which is what we see when people like Reality Winner, uh, the young woman who was an NSA contractor, leaked information to the press and was convicted of a crime for doing that. Instead, there's a proper way that's been constructed, a proper channel to share it with an inspector general of that organization. That's somebody who works in the organization, understands what they do, understands that they sometimes take things close to the legal line in the interest of national security, and they understand when that line has been crossed. And so whistleblower protection 
uh, provides a mechanism for people within that organization to share information through proper channels when they discover something they believe is illegal, wrongful, fraudulent, wasteful, abusive, and says, we're going to protect you from retaliation. You can't be fired as a result of sharing this. You don't have to worry about your career. You can share this with us, and we'll take it from there. And so they entrust the inspector general to take it and do what's appropriate when there is a report. In your memory, has there ever been a whistleblower suit or complaint that involved the president of the United States? I'm not aware of one. Now, I suppose it could be that those don't see the light of day. But what's interesting about this is um, we know about it because the inspector general did send um, a a notification that this was um, both credible and urgent. And so, you know, by putting that layer in between, it prevents frivolous allegations from coming forward. So this isn't just a whistleblower saying, I'm I'm concerned about this thing. Um, There is the inspector general has looked at that complaint and confirmed that it is, as he's required to do, both credible, believable, um, and urgent, uh, of urgent concern. And so something that should be forwarded on to the intelligence community, what, or to, to the Congress. What the statute says is that he is to share it with the director of national intelligence who shall share it with the intelligence committees. And so I think that's where, as a matter of process, there's concern that the director of national intelligence has not shared the complaint with Congress. He has shared it with the White House, mm-hmm. uh, which is the very subject of the complaint. And so I think as a matter of process, there's great concern there that the process is not being followed. So so let's talk about the specific allegations here or what we know about the specific allegations. This idea that the president may have reached out to a foreign leader uh, to put pressure on that person to launch an investigation into uh, at least one of his potential uh, competitors in next year's election and in the process may have used U.S. aid as the as the leverage there. In other words, if you don't do this, maybe we won't release aid that Congress has approved. How serious of an allegation is that? If it proves true, what has the president done or committed? So as you say, Stephen, it's important to say if it's true. We don't know all the facts That's yet right. and it's important to get all the facts out. But if that is true, Um, This could very well be extortion or bribery, and bribery is one of the specific reasons mentioned in the Constitution for impeachment. And, you know, let me explain what this is not. This is not just political hardball. Political hardball is, you know, unless you uh, do what is in the best interest of the United States, we will push this lever or exercise this right. Um, that is when the president or some other public official is acting in the best interest of the country. Um, we are going to horse trade because we want this thing that's of value to the country. Where this is different and why this could be bribery or extortion is what the president is demanding is something that is in his personal best interest, something that will influence the outcome of the election in which he is a candidate. And so it appears to be either bribery or extortion, and that's going to depend a lot on the language. They're essentially um, the same wrong. Um, It really comes down to semantics. I think of it as, um, you know, extortion is bribery's ugly uh, cousin. Mm -hmm. Bribery is usually, if you do this thing for me, I I will give you this benefit. You know, it's all, everybody wins. (laughs) Extortion, on the other hand, is unless you do this thing, I will do this bad thing to you. So it has more of a threat. And so in this instance, um, it could be, um, you know, unless 
you give me that Biden information, I'm going to withhold this military aid that our country has already promised. And it was held up for some period of time. It wasn't until this story broke that the White House agreed to release the $250 million. So there's certainly some um, you know, indicators around here that tend to corroborate this story um, and make it very troubling. You know, I, I compare it to, if, for, for local understanding, to the case that my former office brought against Kwame Kilpatrick. In that case, you may recall that the heart of what he was prosecuted for was an extortion scheme. Mm-hmm. He had contracts that were to be awarded to contractors around the city of Detroit for public works, mostly in the water and sewer department. And he would say things like, um, you know, indirectly through intermediaries, uh, you, I, I, we will hold up this contract. You will not get this contract unless you hire my friend Bobby Ferguson to perform excavating work and receive 25% or thereabouts of these multi-million dollar contracts. So um, Kwame Kilpatrick was convicted for doing this kind of behavior um, and the president should not be above the same law. Hmm. I'm talking with Barb McQuaid, a law professor at the University of Michigan and former United States attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, uh, about the whistleblower story uh, that revolves around President Trump and Joe Biden and Ukraine. Uh, we're talking about what this all might mean if it's true. We're talking about what's the process for figuring out whether it is true and what the consequences might be if it is true. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. What do you think of all of this? Do you think there's anything that could get this president impeached if nothing up until now has ultimately been viewed as an impeachable offense? Think of all the many things that this president has done that seem to fall into that realm of high crimes and misdemeanors as they are mentioned in the U.S. Constitution. Also, do you think uh, Joe Biden's involvement could lend some outrage and urgency to the situation given that he is at least one of the people who has said he will challenge the president for uh, his job next year during the 2020 elections. As always, uh, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll try to work those comments into the conversation. Uh, Before we get to callers and comments, uh, Barb, I want to ask about the process here. Uh, That's been one of the big problems, I think, with President Trump is he does something and it seems as though it might fall into the category of wrongdoing or, or perhaps a crime. But the process of getting to the space where you can determine that is is clouded by politics. Uh, There is an end of these processes that is itself political. Impeachment is a political process as well. Uh, So what's the process that should unfold that would tell us what actually happened here? One of the things that has been so challenging with President Trump, I think, is that many of our rules Um, Our Constitution, our statutes presume a president who acts in good faith in the best interest of the country. Um, And where it considers a president involved in self-dealing or other things that are contrary to the best interest of the country, it presumes a Congress that will serve as an effective check on Mm -hmm. the president. I think that the founders did not envision the way that um, party politics might take uh, priority for some people over best interest of the country. And I think that's one of the concerns that we have seen. Um, there are some mechanisms in place. There are resort to the courts. Um, but as we've seen with um, President Trump, he has vowed to fight all the subpoenas in Congress, which is you know the first check on him. 
Um, and then Congress has filed lawsuits in the courts, and the president has very vigorously defended um, himself there, which has allowed him to stall and delay. And although I'm confident that ultimately Congress will prevail in many of those suits in forcing his hand on frivolous uh, uh, uh uses of executive privilege um, and other strategies that uh, strike me as lawless, I think he might be successful in stalling long enough to run out the clock on the 2020 election Hmm. so that the courts don't have to make uh, rulings until after the election. So it's um, the process, um, I think, needs some vigor to move things along a little more quickly, because I am confident that if we get decisions out of the courts, they will um, check his power um, back to a spot where he is only a co-equal power, powerful branch in in our government. Hmm. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number. Call and tell us what you're thinking about the unfolding scandal around Ukraine and President Trump and Joe Biden. Uh, let's go to Keith in Harper Woods. Keith, what's on your mind? So, because the president tends to speak in a a word salad of jumbled words and sentences, could that allow his attorneys to make the argument that we don't know what he really said because it's so confusing, it's subject to interpretation, that we don't know if he really was trying to bribe or extort Ukraine? Hmm. Yeah, uh, that's a great question, Keith. I mean, uh, it gets to this notion of uh, intent, I guess, uh, proving that that he intended to to extort or bribe uh, this this official in Ukraine, uh, Barb. How, how does the law deal with people whose speech often is uh, is unclear? Yeah, Keith, that's a great question. And you know, sometimes I I wonder um, is he um, you know just a a buffoon or is he crazy like a fox? <laughs> um, could be both. But uh, but you're right. And you know, one of the things that um, juries are instructed in when they're looking to intent is they'll say, you know, of course, you can never read another person's mind. And so the way you can draw reasonable inferences about what the person's intent was is to look at all the things he said, all the things he did, and the larger context. So although what he says may be a word salad, and those words are going to be important, I think you would want to see a transcript if it exists. But you don't have to look at it in a vacuum. You can look at the full uh, context. You can look at other things he's doing. You can even look at um, prior bad acts under a rule of evidence for a pattern of behavior to see if this is kind of how he rolls. And so there may be ways to contextualize the word salad to draw reasonable inferences from it. And how important is intent in these particular crimes? I mean, I know that in, in some cases intent matters, in some cases it doesn't. Yeah, that, absolutely right. You know, there's uh, sort of general intent crimes of things like, uh, you know, assault and, and other things. Um, but these kinds of crimes, extortion and bribery, are what we call specific intent crimes. And under the statute for bribery and extortion, the word is is corruptly. And that means you had to have some sort of improper purpose when you made this demand. Um, and so uh, it would be important to prove that, I think. But you could do that, uh, as I said, by looking not only at the words, but also by uh, actions and context. Mm. Uh, Again, Keith, great question, and thanks very much for the call. Let's go to Michael in Detroit. Michael, welcome to the program. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Uh Uh, I'd like to uh, ask your guest uh, what laws Trump has broken since he's become president. And I don't mean alleged to have broken, because, you know, anybody can make an allegation. I can allege that you killed your neighbor's dog and 
that doesn't mean it's true. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in almost three years now, uh, what laws do we know that he has actually broken as opposed to alleged to have broken? Great question, Michael. Uh, thanks very much for the call. Uh, obviously, the, the, the real way we know whether someone has broken the law is whether I guess they've been charged and, and had their day in court and a jury or a judge has decided on their guilt. But I think what Michael is getting to is is this idea of uh, w- the things we see the president doing and that we know he has done and whether those things would meet the standard of, of criminality. Yeah, I, I think that based on facts that are, I think, agreed upon based on what we've read in the Mueller report, um, I think that if we were just looking at these and we didn't have the complicating factor of Trump being president, which makes charging him very challenging and mm-hmm. difficult, I would say most prosecutors would agree that, number one, he has committed obstruction of justice. Uh, if you look at what was written in the Mueller report, there are 10 episodes of seeking to end or curtail the Mueller investigation. And I think at least five of them, even Mueller agreed, all of the essential elements of obstruction of justice were met there. Um, an obstructive act, a nexus to an investigation, and a corrupt purpose. And so I would say obstruction of justice, number one. I would also argue campaign finance violations um, with regard to the payoffs of Stormy Daniels. Um, Paying uh, a mistress on the eve of an election to silence her right after the release of the Access Hollywood tapes was an effort to influence the outcome of the election, payments that were not declared uh, under the campaign finance laws. Hmm. Under the state of New York, um, it appears he also has violated laws about falsifying business records by paying Michael Cohen what they claim to be legal fees and were in fact payoffs for Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal. And then in this next instance, again, the facts matter, but it appears on its face at the least that by demanding information about Joe Biden that can be used in the election in exchange for military aid, President Trump may have violated extortion and bribery laws. Hmm. Um, that's just off the top of that's my a, head, Stephen. That's, pretty a, good that's list. a pretty substantial <laughs> list. And again, I mean, I, you know, I think it, it's it's difficult sometimes to keep your mind focused on on that because this is a president whose behavior is so extraordinary in so many ways. And uh, I think we've all become somewhat inured to to the idea of outrage or outrageous behavior because it's so common. And, and it is difficult to separate, in some instances, things that he's done that, that just seem ill-advised from things that might rise to the level of criminality. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that has been frustrating, I think, um, if if you recall, Watergate is the way um, Republicans in Congress have allowed President Trump to get away with thumbing his nose at Congress. One of the articles of impeachment against President Nixon was contempt of Congress, mm-hmm. um, the refusal to share tapes and to provide information. Um, you know, I think a president who respects our uh democracy and our separation of powers would understand that oversight by Congress is an essential part of a healthy government. And by refusing and stonewalling Congress, I think that alone um, is potentially impeachable conduct. Yeah. Uh, Quickly, before we have to break, let's get to Ed in Detroit. Ed, welcome to the program. Wonderful conversation today. Thank you. you. I was going to point out that twice in this uh, administration, we've had instances where an act of Congress seems to command an executive officer to perform some act, 
and the White House or someone in the administration has barred that executive officer from obeying the law. In the first instance, there's a law that says under certain circumstances, the commissioner of the IRS shall give to certain officers of the Congress a tax return of, of any person or company. Mm-hmm. And in the, in the current case, the statute on its face seems to say that when the, the, the inspector general has forwarded a, a uh, urgent and credible complaint by whistleblower to the director of national intelligence, the director shall uh, forward that uh, matter to the appropriate committees of the Congress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In both of these instances, the, the officer is refusing to obey the law, presumably under the orders of the president. Yeah. If that can be demonstrated, I think that would be uh, a legitimate basis of an article of impeachment yeah. um, consistent with, with the language that's been used in the three we had three instances where Congress has looked at presidents for impeachment. Yeah. Twice presidents have been impeached. Right. Uh, Ed, uh, one, one resigned. Ed, I, I think that's a really interesting point, uh, Barbara. We've got about a minute left, but I want to have you address what Ed's talking about. I, I think it's a, a great observation. The, you know, shall perform a certain act. Um, Congress has resorted to the courts in the IRS instance. And again, if not received a judgment, um, you can um, demand that uh, executive branch Agents and officers comply with the law by seeking resort in the court to get an order to do so. Uh, but again, one of the things that President Trump has done is is stall and trying to run out the clock. And um, I would hope that at some point a court will expedite its decision so that we can see people doing their jobs. Okay. Barb McQuaid, law professor at the University of Michigan, former U.S. attorney here in the Eastern District. Thanks, as always, for the thoughtful conversation. Yeah, has. thanks very much, Stephen. Appreciate being here with you. Thanks for being here. Up next, a look at the state of local newspapers in Macomb County and a conversation about why homegrown news sources are vital to our communities. Stay with us on Detroit Today.